Well, it seems really a bit sort of odd to me um, talking about suffering in this really tricky psalm uh, at the beginning of a young child's Christian journey. But of course, suffering is part of all of our human journeys. Uh, whether we like it or not, it comes to all of us in various forms through our lifetimes. So God can speak to us through this today in the same way as any other day, and I hope that you get something out of what I'm sharing. Talking about suffering, I, I flew EasyJet from Lisbon yesterday, so um, that gave me a kind of something to work with. If any of you have done it. Well, this psalm is a little bit about suffering, suffering of a particular type, and um, It speaks of a God in that psalm that's responsive and active in the midst of suffering and gives us, I think, also a reason to hope. And it's one that points out strongly the benefits of necessity even of waiting upon God. Well, to be human, to be human is inevitably to suffer. The two are inextricably linked Yet I believe when we speak about suffering, we've got to tread carefully. Because the ways in which you as individuals and I as an individual experience suffering might have some common characteristics, but that's all. I can't understand your suffering, anything you might be going through or have gone through, in full just as you cannot understand mine. So it's difficult to generalize about suffering. And so I apologize in advance for talking about suffering in a way that doesn't take account of your circumstances and for burdening you with some of my own. But my intention is that we might together find something in reflecting on this psalm that gives a little hope to us all, not a cut-price, easy answer type of hope, but something that might be worth holding on to in some small way. If anything in this psalm touches you, there'll be people who want to pray about that with you at the end of the service. We can have a word with me and Stuart, and uh, we can meet with you or whatever if there's something that you'd like to talk and pray about. Now, at one level, of course, suffering may involve physical hardship, you know, pain, a disability that causes great difficulty, an injury or an ongoing medical condition. Physical suffering is the most visible and tangible type of suffering, but it's not the only one and seldom exists on its own. As an extension of that, if I'm in a relationship with you of one sort or another, your suffering in some ways becomes mine too. I feel your pain, and it becomes mine. Indeed, our relationship might even become a source of pain because of its failure. And in this case, a broken leg becomes a broken heart. Or the very physical event of another's death may propel us into grief and bereavement. And so suffering inevitably involves our emotions and our mind, It can disturb us, make us sad. It can cause us to lose motivation, 
to lose the will to carry on. It can make us feel as though the bottom's dropped out of our world, that our hopes for the future are dashed. And it can lead us into frantic activity, even euphoria, anger, carelessness, or unsafe behavior. The impact of suffering is complex and varies enormously, one person to another. And suffering can also be physical, mental, but also spiritual. That's a type of suffering referred to in this psalm, where the writer is seeking mercy for a record of sinfulness. He cries out in help, helplessness and grief. And there's a disconnection from God caused by that sin, a sense that he's let God down, now expects judgment and cries for mercy. But there may also be, in suffering, a loss of connection from God in entirety, the type of psalm that never even got written because the conversation was replaced by the silence of disbelief. And these two or three types of suffering tend to interact with each other. I mean, when I visit someone in hospital, it's very rare to find someone who has merely a broken leg or a bad leg or whatever, with all emotions and spiritual state in a kind of steady equilibrium. Our suffering tends to overlap with the whole of our being, our body, our mind, our spirit, our sexuality. And my journey of suffering has been a long and complicated one. In truth, it's involved all the types of suffering that I've mentioned and more. It's affected my choices, my actions and feelings in some great or small way for every one of the days that have constituted the 14 years in which I regard myself as having been suffering in one way or another. And at those times, the actions or choices that I've made in response to suffering have been things that I'm proud of, you know, and other times not proud of. I know that the journey will continue to change because at times it's darkened and at other times lightened. At times it's devastated me and at other times grown me. I also sense it won't end, but it'll keep changing. During that time, and you can be forgiven for this, I've largely ignored people who talk about suffering because, and especially if they feel as though they haven't really experienced it. And I think I've come to the personal conclusion that suffering tends to involve three things, for me at least, me, God, and time. Me, God, and time. And when I read this psalm, which after all is a song, we're just reading lyrics, those three ideas come across most powerfully to me about me, God, and time. And I need to talk a little bit more about me just for a moment because I can't talk for you and you'll have to find whatever helps you in your own suffering. But I want to share that I can recall at the beginning of my journey making a conscious choice and it's probably one of the most important ones that I've made because there seemed to me to be a choice between two different types of orientations. The first is to believe that the world is unfair, that it's rubbish, that people are, tend to be bad, and that in life we won't get what we deserve. 
and that there's no particular hope beyond the immediate living. That's one type of orientation. And another is that the world may be cruel and contain tough stuff for us all, but that there may also be the hope of a life beyond the immediate, which is fair, which is rewarding, and does end pain. Somewhere, perhaps, where our pieces get put back together again. And crucially, it seemed to me, in making that choice for the second of those, that a life lived in that hope would be infinitely more fulfilling than one lived in despair, and the impact on others infinitely more positive. But nonetheless, I cried out with my questions, as did the psalmist, and hoped for an answer. Now, when we ask questions and about suffering, even to God, for me at least, it's been like asking a question of someone and instead of answering that question, instead of answering it, it's like, to use an analogy, they've picked up a violin and started playing. In that sense, it's not an answer in the way that we required it or hoped for it, in simple words and plain English. But it's a response. It's not even direct, but it's hugely helpful. It appears not to the logical mind and the, ca- the facility of reasoning, but to the soul. And interpreting it and not dismissing it requires openness and ears to listen. So, in effect, I made a choice for hope. But on what basis was I just kidding myself, living in the illusion that something was true in order to make things more bearable? Or was there more to it than that? Well, we'll explore that further in the next part of the psalm and the next part of my story, and it's all to do with God, in particular, the character of God. So it's to God that I now turn. I've recently gone through the experience, again, of someone dying and being the executor of that person's wishes. And when we do that, as a number of you probably have, we're catapulted into a world of sorting out their affairs, and that involves dealing with companies, in particular telephone companies, I've noticed. And four things that I've noticed about that is that they don't make it as easy to speak to them as you might imagine. This telephone company called me eight times. Every time it was inconvenient to answer their call, they didn't leave a number on which I could call them back because that would be inconvenient to them. They keep immaculate records of what we owe them. We're of no ongoing value to them when someone's passed on, so they're not inclined to give us great service. And their ultimate concern is just getting from us what they're due. Now, I use that as an example because the psalmist's experience of God is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. Because he speaks of a psalm, of of a God, who hears, who forgives, who loves, 
and who redeems. Some of those characteristics are implicit rather than demonstrated, but they're there nonetheless. And that's relevant because in suffering, we long to be heard. We long to be heard. We want someone to listen and believe that they might understand. And we might in that have times of crying, times of prayerfulness, even times we can't communicate, times that words defeat us. Perhaps only faith in a God who knows our thoughts before we speak can comprehend us as we believe God does. But how then do we know that we've been heard? But in suffering, we long to be heard. In suffering, we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness for our self-absorption, for hiding, for our lack of reliance on God, forgiveness for bad choices in dealing with pain and isolation. Perhaps only a God who is forgiving in character can cope with us at those times. And in suffering, we need the assurance of love, that we're still lovable, and that we're offered love, which is acceptable to us. And that is God's character reference in that psalm. He hears us, he forgives us, he loves us, and he redeems us. Through him, our suffering isn't solved, but it is contained. Our depths, as the psalmist puts it in his case, are not too low for God. And when something can be contained, there's hope in that. It may be out of our control, but it's not perhaps outside of God's control. Not out of God's control or his experience in Jesus Christ. Because God is both the container and the universal sufferer and the redeemer. The story of God's own suffering on the cross, the cross with which I just signed utterly, convinced me that God could not only contain my suffering, but he knew it and had done what he needed to do already. Now, when I speak of God and his actions here, I'm also talking in a funny way about us, about you and me, because we're God's people. We're so often the words, the ears that hear, the one who prays alongside or just is alongside that offers love. I've lost count of the number of times in which the church worked as God's agent in this for me. And this is what it means to be a community, as we've declared ourselves a community this morning, that heals up and binds each other's wounds. And it's why, to a large extent, I've dedicated my ministry to playing a part in that for others by God's grace. But when we open ourselves to God and are ready to hear a response, as I said earlier, it may not come in the form that we expect, not in the direct answers to our questions, but in my analogy, in music, at least in a different language. After a while, God does respond, not on our terms, but on his. 
and we know we've been heard because we know we can detect in perhaps that music that the notes contain forgiveness, love and redemption and hope. Let me just finish by talking about the third of elements. Me, God, time. Time third. You know, because the psalmist places great emphasis on patient, attentive, attentive, observant waiting. And yet, you know, none of us are preconditioned to wait. We hate waiting. I hate waiting for anything. We want to act. We want to do something. should have seen me in the queue at Lisbon Airport. We want not to observe, do we? But to do something, to behave. Not to be patient, but to be proactive. A couple of weeks ago, my son Tom and I were walking by the sea at Whitstable in Kent, very nice place, and we passed the Coast Guard station. Alongside the building, the Coast Guard was standing, looking out at a horizon, which to Tom and I seemed only to contain a small wind farm and a very slow-moving oil tanker. And Tom asked me rhetorically, I wonder what he's looking for? Because it wasn't obvious to us. And I didn't know the answer. But I was sure that experience and waiting would mean that the Coast Guard could see things that I couldn't. He knew also what was absent. He was more aware of what was changing than I who passed by hurriedly and that he would be there tomorrow and the day after that. Watching and waiting is against every instinct in us and yet God will not be hurried so we can only move with wisdom at his pace. In response to suffering, with ears to hear, sometimes patient listening and an open heart, I've heard God's music of the soul and it's a way that I can make the words of the Bible chime with my heart and give me hope. You know, when suffering was new and raw, I had no time for music, God's music. Its place was taken by fear, tears, racing thought and the desire to take control and my questions kept reverberating in my mind. As time went on, and God took up his instrument and began to play. I was forced to acknowledge that those things happening in me and around me were beyond my prior understanding. New stuff was happening. And that I'd need to learn a new language to interpret them. Things like the love of strangers. Things like how we can feel hope in despair. Things like how we can serve others and ourselves be healed. And as time has moved on, themes have developed. At times, I would walk away from God's music, turn it down, change channels. It became familiar, and I thought I knew it. I couldn't always remember those first questions that I had, or whether they indeed were important now. And in the present time, the music and my listening has changed again. The music remains sad and saddening. But I no longer expect answers to my questions and I can listen freely to God's music on its own merits. And at times I detect great beauty. At times it transports me. Its continuing presence over time marks out my journey. 
and I'm less burdened. Less burdened and more free. The hope in which I was moved to believe now has a melody I can recognize.